Good, good to see everybody, and uh, happy Valentine's Day. Everybody, if you don't hear from anybody else, you hear it from me. Happy Valentine's Day to you. So uh, I'm wearing red, wearing red, but it's not for Valentine's Day. No. This is my rebellion against the Eagles. Go Chiefs! <laughs> yeah. All right, Eagles, Eagles fans, let's hear it. How many? All right, Chiefs. Giants, don't care. Woo, all right, there you go, don't care. Pizza and wings, yeah, there we go. Something like that. So we'll see, I hope everybody has a, a good day, whatever you're doing, and uh, you know, God, God just ordains what he ordains, so have to let it be what it'll be, we'll see what happens. Um, no, but it's good to see everybody, welcome. I invite you to turn to Ezekiel. Chapter 37, and if you can find Ezekiel in less than 30 seconds, you should feel good about yourself. Ezekiel, chapter 37, is in the Bibles. There you can grab one of those. Um, and as you turn there, um, uh, you know, I've often talked about how I like to play basketball. I know, I know, looking at me, nobody would ever guess. Nobody would ever guess, but I love playing basketball. I love uh, Muggsy Bogues, that's right, Muggsy Bogues. I had... I had a poster of Spud Webb on my wall. He was 5'8", and he could dunk. And I was like, I could, I could, I could do it. Never, no, no. Um, but I love playing basketball. I love the camaraderie, you know, the team. I love that you play in a team. Um, the challenge of competition. I love the, uh, the exercise. There's a mental release that happens when you play a sport, when you just play in game. There's something that happens. It's like, oh, this is great just to kind of release from, you know, work. And it's, it's play. It's fun. And every time I leave the house, my wife says three words. Three words every time. What are they? Don't get hurt. Every single time I leave the house to play basketball, don't get hurt. And the only reason she says that <laughs> is because pretty much every time I play, I come home with some new pain, something in there. I have broken my nose three times playing basketball. Um, I have at least three times. I had a mask in high school. I had a mask. I have broken my wrist. I have pulled, playing basketball, I have pulled muscles. I have twisted ankles and jammed fingers. I have taken a beating playing basketball. Um, and I play with a bunch of older guys. And uh, it's fitting because we, we have a league, and we call the league the Rec League. But it's W-R-E-C-K. W-R-E-C-K. And it's so appropriate like we, our sponsor is uh, ibuprofen, and uh, it's it's awesome. We have a great time. It's very fitting. But these past few years, I have ent entered new levels of injury. Um, I have herniated discs in both my neck and in my back. Um, uh, can you tell that I love to play? Like, would you sit there going, like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, I went to the to the orthopedic, and he's like, man, your body looks like it's taking a beating. I was like, thank you. I'm paying you for this, right? I'm paying you for the insults. This is great. Um, and, and seriously, so I, yeah, I have like, I, I, I've got, I mean, L, L5S1, anybody? Anybody else at L5S1? All right, we got some. That's, that's the disc down low, right? That's that base one down there. Yeah, the herniated disc up here, that was a good one. That was, I thought my head fell off. Um, and th that is supposed, supposedly this is healed. This, that was years ago. This is good. This is within the last year. So we'll see. But I keep playing. Yeah, power through. Keep doing it because if you stop, 
you die. If you stop, you die. So you got to keep playing. But the thing about, like, if you, anybody ever herniated disc or anything like that or slipped discs, and, you, know, you know, back, okay. So when something is out of alignment, like, does you feel that all the time. All the time. Like, there's never a moment where you're like, oh, relief. Like, I feel it. He's like, when do you feel it? Only standing up, sitting down, or laying. Like, that's it. That's every, <laughs> yeah, everything else. Yeah, until something hurts more. But it's just constant. You just feel this pain. And you can get some physical therapy, and the goal is to get things back in alignment. Because um, once you're realigned, you feel good, and then you can just go hurt something else. Right? That's, that's how it works. If you've ever been to a chiropractor, anybody been to chiropractors? Now, I am skeptical of chiropractors. I have to let you know I've never been, uh, but I feel like if there's a chiropractor in the room, you can help me understand later why I'm un misunderstanding this. But it seems to me like chiropractors don't want you to get better that they just want you to keep coming um, back over and over and over again. Like, that, the goal, and it's, it's strategic, like, I get it, but the goal is for you to, you know, come back again. They don't want you to get better. They want you to keep coming. It's a moneymaker, right? So that's my natural skepticism. But, but listen, I've never been to a chiropractor, so I don't know, and I probably should. But if you've been, and you've been, anybody ever go, and the first time you went, you got better and you never went back, and they didn't ask you to come back? One? One. One. How many of you have been to chiropractors? Raise your hands. Yeah. Okay, you see those hands? And one of you. One of you. One of you. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh-oh. My thing is freaking out here. My Kindle's going off. So anyway, it's like I might need my notes. Yeah. This is like turning on and off. Yeah, thank you. I don't know why that's doing that. But technology. So anyway, I've got a natural skepticism of chiropractors, but I may, I'm, I'm not against it, but I'll go. But that sense of alignment, like you get in alignment, you feel good, hey, that's great. If it works for you, wonderful, Jake, congratulations. You won the lottery. You should probably go get a ticket. He was in his 20s. Doesn't matter. It's still just one time. They should have seen you as like a lifelong, a lifelong client. Yeah, so, so anyway, here we go. Alignment, that idea of alignment, of your spine being aligned, that's not just a physical issue, right? Not just a physical thing. If we're out of alignment emotionally, what do we call it? You're bent out of, oh, right? We use that same language, right? If you're tweaked, <laughs> right? That's the language you use, eh, right? We feel out of sorts or out of whack, Right? We need to get back in whack, right? whatever whack is. right? You can, you can get out of sorts, whether emotionally you can be misaligned or, or, or financially or mentally. There's all sorts of things. And so since it's February and Valentine's Day and all that, we're going to take a look at our relationships because there are times in our lives where relationships get out of alignment. They get out of whack. And you know what happens when they're out of alignment? You feel it. And you feel it when you're sitting, standing, laying down. You feel it all the time. It doesn't go away. Our relational health is such a huge part of who we are as humans. It's really perhaps one of the most important parts of us is those relationships. What happens, those key relationships. And when the key relationships in our life are healthy and strong and doing, doing well, often so are we. When those key primary relationships in your life are going well, typically, no matter what's happening around you, you're okay. You sleep fine at night because you know you're loved. You've got all that. But when there's dissonance, when there's relational distress, when you're off kilter, it touches every part of your life and you feel it, constantly aware of it. Like a disc that's out of place, 
We can live with a relationship that's not right. You can learn to live with it. You can learn to manage it. You say, this relationship is off. I've figured out how to move forward. I've figured out how to do things with it. I can play through it. But you know that you're not at your best, and you feel that pain constantly. You're aware of it all the time. We know we're never fully right. See, we learn to live with pain. We do it all the time. Physically, we learn to live with pain. Emotionally, mentally, relationally, we learn to live with pain. We deal, we accept it, we resign ourselves to it. We have too much going on. We're too busy sometimes to address it because there's too much of it. I can't fix it all, so I just learn to find a way through. And the longer the list of pains get, what you end up doing is just addressing the big ones and letting some of those other ones just say, I'll put up with that. Right? Some of you have pains right now, and you're like, yeah, it's just didn't make the cut. I don't got the energy to deal with that one today. We know what a great relationship feels like, and we're aware that some relationships are simply not there. Some we work on and try to invest in, and others we either give up on or we're on our way to giving up on. We're like, it's just going to be what it's going to be. So here's the thought for today. Here's the thought for today, a new series that we are kicking off. There are relationships that you have given up on that God has not. Love can live again. There are relationships that you have given up on or are about to give up on that God has not. There are people you have lost hope that the relationship can be restored, but God's not done yet. He has not yet given up on those people. We believe this is a year of awakening, that God wants to awaken in us his desire to revive what we thought was good and dead. That God wants to awaken us in this way. That God's not done with some of the relationships that you feel have no chance of being recovered. So for the next few weeks, we're going to turn our attention to one of the most dramatic stories in all of Scripture. It's a vision that God gave the prophet Ezekiel. It's this absolutely bizarre vision. It's one of the most crazy things in the entire Bible. Now, Ezekiel, if you don't know much about Ezekiel, it's a, it's a cool name, um, but he lived around 600 B.C. He was a contemporary, a, uh, he lived on the earth, and he was operating at the same exact time as Daniel think, uh, and Jeremiah. Think of those guys that lived at the same time. He might have been actually the same age as Daniel. So when, when Daniel was over there, like in the lion's den, doing all that kind of stuff, Ezekiel is, is alive at that same time. And that's helpful because what that lets us know at that point in history, if you remember, Israel, the people of Israel, had been conquered by Babylon. They had been, they, the people, God had said, you know, they had come out of the Red Sea. They had done all, escaped Egypt. They'd wandered in the desert. They'd come into the promised land, but they continually rejected God who led them there. And eventually God's like, listen, I can't take you people anymore. I'm going to have to try and wake you up a different way. So I'm going to let Babylon conquer you. So now they are exiled. Their, their cities are leveled. They're gone. Right? They're in exile in Babylon. That's why Daniel's in Babylon. That's why he's in the palace with Nebuchadnezzar, all that kind of stuff. Right? And you've got this story now. So while that's taking place, that the people are exiled from their land, they're conquered people. It's been about 30 or 40 years into this captivity, which Jeremiah 29, 11, remember Jeremiah's writing at the same time, says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your good, not to harm you. Right? All that. Yeah, that plan included 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Right? So we've that's that same time period. So they're about 30 or 40 years into this captivity when Ezekiel gets this vision. 
So think about that. You're a conquered people. It's been almost like a pretty good chunk of your lifetime. Some, some kids that have grown up, they're, if they're 30, all they've ever known is captivity. All they've ever known is they're a conquered people. And they're given this vision. So think about that context as we read Ezekiel chapter 37. And is it, I didn't, did, do we have it in there? You're, you're amazing. Danielle, can we just give it up for Danielle? Because I didn't, I forgot to, I forgot to put it in there. I forgot to put it in there. That's, that's amazing. So here we go. So it says this. We're going to read Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. It says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. Oh, it's going to be a good story when it starts like that. That'd be a great movie, right? Like, come on, think about that. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. Dun, dun, dun. Right, you hear it. Here it goes. Here it. He led me all around the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling sound, a noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Like you get the visual, right? This is crazy here. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Man, this is like so, so dramatic. I'm just like, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They're saying we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Captivity. Therefore, prophesy to those people now, to the people, just like you did to the bones, and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O oh, my people. I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, O oh, my people, you will know I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Man, how's that for a story? Isn't that something? I could stop right there, right? Like, you get it. It's so, man, but I'm not. Um, but I could, sorry. The people had lost all hope of restoration. When they looked around, 
they saw all the reasons nothing was going to change. When you look around at your life, you can list. We're so good at identifying all the reasons things can't happen. We're so good at seeing all the reasons we shouldn't have hope. It's a gift. (laughs) We're too weak. The challenge is too great. The dream is too far away. All I see is bones. All I see is bones, a tangible, defeating, discouraging reminder of what used to be. You ever look at something and say, man, it just every time I look, it reminds me of what used to be. It used to be so good. We used to be so strong. We used to be full of joy. But now bones, ashes, just a painful reminder of what once was. And here's the thing with all those reminders of what once was, they're all true. It actually used to be different than it is now. There used to be joy in those places. And now there's only bones. When we have that sense of grief for what was, it's born out of a place of reality. There is that reality in our lives. The cities have been destroyed. The families had been separated. Many people had died. Life as they knew it was over. So the people that are in captivity, they're sitting there going, all I see is bones. It's because all that was to be seen was bones. That's all that was left. So here's the question. Can you relate to that relationally? Are there relationships in your life that all you see are the bones of what used to be? Just a painful reminder that there used to be love, and there used to be joy, and there used to be laughter, and there used to be life, and there used to be this great thing between you and them. It doesn't have to be a spouse. It could be, it could be a friend. It could be someone from a long time ago. I don't know who it is. My guess is that at this point, most of you already have somebody in mind. There's probably already a name and a face, and there's Floods of memories coming back. That all that's left now of that great relationship at one time is bitterness and regret and hurt and pain and loss. Just bones. Perhaps you don't have a whole lot of uh, hope that it's ever going to change. It's been too long. There's too much history. It's too much to unpack. Too much damage done, and you've resigned yourself to living with it. It's the way it's going to be. It's precisely into that kind of despair and into that hopelessness that the creator of all people, the God of all things, asks a question. He asks a question. Can these bones live again? And I want to just remind us, (laughs) every time God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. God's not curious. God's not wondering. He wants us to answer it for ourselves. Every time God asks a question, it's for our benefit, not his. Can these bones live? And he doesn't ask, will these bones live? Or should these bones live? Or do you want these bones to live? He's asking a very simple question. Can they? Can they? Do you believe God can revive what feels dead? Do you believe God has that kind of power? 
Think about that relationship. Let's make it really practical. Do you think God can change that? Want, want to put faith in action? That's it. Can God change that? And a lot of us right now are going, hmm, it's not such an easy question to answer. Because some of those relationships, man, it's been a long time. And deader than a doornail. I mean, maybe not even bones anymore. Maybe just ash. Do you believe God has that kind of power? God gave Ezekiel this vision to wake people up, to challenge them, put their faith in action. Was their faith in God just a nice theoretical idea? Like, I like to say that, but I don't actually believe it. Or does it impact real life experience? If we're gathering here just for the exercise of it to say, yeah, we believe God is powerful, but when the rubber hits the road, yeah, he can't fix this relationship. Do we believe that God has all power? What good is it to believe if we don't put faith in action? So let's challenge ourselves today. With that relationship in mind, with that relationship that you don't have hope for, or maybe, maybe not much, one that perhaps you've accepted it as it is, but you know it's not where it should be, Perhaps it's causing you pain, and perhaps that pain is your fault. It's not always somebody else. Maybe you, you did it. Maybe they did it. Maybe it was a combination of both. Maybe somebody else did it. However you got there, whatever caused that division, now for a moment, let's put ourselves in Ezekiel's shoes and hear the voice of God asking you right now where you are. Answer this question for yourself. Do you believe God can bring that relationship back to life? If not, we stop here and we walk away. We admit we don't think God is big enough to do that. There's no, there's no need to pretend. There's no room for that here, right? Be honest. It's crucial for faith to be honest, and if you don't think God can do that. You can shut it down now. That's it. Just don't play games. Okay. Be honest in front of God. Ezekiel's answer couldn't have been more honest. God says, Ezekiel, do you think, can these bones live? And what does he say? Only you know, God. <laughs> Only you know, God. I have no idea if they can, but it's huge. Pay attention to what he didn't say. He didn't say no. He didn't say, no, they can't. He didn't assume, yes, yes, they will. He said this. His honest answer was literally a declaration of faith. He says, I believe you know the answer to the question, God. And if you say they can, I will believe it. That's what he's saying here. When he's saying, only you know, he's saying, God, I believe that if you want them to, they can. So it is a yes. I believe that they can. I don't know if they will, but I know that they can. I believe that they can. See, there's a process to this life-giving work of God. It starts with the question, do you believe I can? God wants to know if you believe in his power and not in his goodness. And it doesn't mean that God is going to revive everything in our life, every relationship in our life. There are some parts of our lives, some relationships that are dead that need to stay dead. <laughs> they need to stay that way. But do we have the faith to say, God, I believe you can? 
if you want to. You know if you want to. And if you want to, I believe you can. Our trust that God can is more important than if he will. Our trust that God can is more important than if he will. This is not the kind of thing that we manipulate into being. It's not that we say, God, I want you to fix this one and this one and this one. God prompted Ezekiel first. He said, can I heal this? So there's a, there's a process to this. First, we seek God. God, is it your will for this relationship to be revived? And if God says yes, then, then we speak to the bones. That's what we do. If we believe God can and you sense him prompt you to this, we speak to the bones. That's the process. God, do you want this relationship to live again? And if you feel that, that go ahead, that green light in your spirit, then you say, God, I'm going to speak to the bones. And here's what we tell the bones. Listen to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. And I know this gets a little unusual. You're like, man, this is kind of weird. Like, this is more better Halloween message. Um, talking to bones and stuff like that. At, but there's, there's power in words. There's power in words. The world was created by a word. Says the, the Lord spoke and the world came into being. See, because when God speaks, things become that we're not. It's amazing. There's a whole word for this, ex nihilo. Any of you know that? Out of nothing, God speaks and something is. It's the only God that can create from nothing. It's how we give life. It's how we tear down with our words. You want to give life to someone, you speak encouragement. You want to tear down somebody, use your words. You know, sticks and stones, yeah, garbage. Words are powerful. Words can heal. Words can create. Words bring all sorts of things to life. It's how ideas come into being. They go from here to reality when we speak them out. God is telling us it's time to use the full power of our words to speak to the dead and dried up relationships in our life. To literally call them out. That when we do, God says, I go into action. If you will speak to that relationship. We've asked the question, do you believe? And if, if you've answered that question with, I believe he can. Okay. Oh, but I put my faith in action. Okay. I'm willing to take a try on this. God, I know only you can. I'm willing to go forward. If we do that, the next thing is, okay, now speak it. Speak to that relation. I'm going to invite the band back up because in a moment we're going to pray for God to do the impossible. We're going to actually put this in action. We're going to speak it. Again, not weird. I'm not going to make it super uncomfortable and awkward. We're not going to have everybody shouting or anything like that. But, like in our, in our, but to ourselves, we're going to speak to God and we're going to ask for the impossible. We're going to invite God. Today is going to be a, a day you're going to start something new. You're going to speak something new that had not been before. Up until this point, that relationship's been a valley of dry bones. And now we're going to speak. And when we speak it, there's going to be a rattle. Next week, we're going to talk about what happens after the rattle. And then there's one more week, and we're going to talk about the third part. There's, there's, there's bones, and then there's muscles, and then there's breath. And we're going to talk about each week. But we're going to start today by saying, God, we ask. So first, I just want you to close your eyes right where you are. And this is how we're going to pray. Ready? We're going to seek the Lord.
So the first thing we're going to ask right now, we're going to put it in practice, is this. God, are you telling me to pray for this relationship? Let's just seek and say, you've had that person, perhaps a, someone in your mind, and say, God, give me a green light or a red light. Lord, is this something I'm supposed to be praying for? Do you want this to live again? Is this a relationship that I need to just leave in the rearview mirror? Or are you not done yet here? So just take a moment and just listen. got clarity, whether you've got freedom to pray about that, now we're going to speak the word. We're going to speak the word, dry bones, live again. So just where you are, just, you can either say their name or just say, God, let it live again. That's it. Say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. God says, live again. God says that this love can live again. God alone, you can do this. Only you can do this. We cannot manufacture relationship. We cannot give life to what has been dead. God, only you can do this. Live again. You said you will do it, God. Begin the work, Lord. Let those bones begin to align. Let those things begin to rattle, move. Jesus, we pray. Jesus, be at work in the relationships that are represented in this room, those listening online. God, would you be at work right now? We stand still. We watch your word. Lord, because your word says that when those things happen, we will know you are the Lord. Because that's miracle stuff, God. When dead things come back to life, it lets us know you're for real. Our faith builds so we take that step and we invite you in our lives, in these relationships, breathe new life. Amen. Now, here's the thing. If we do that, here's what's going to happen. The first evidence, right, is that alignment. Those bones are going to line up. He has an order to it. And here's what God needs to align. He needs to align you and them to him. That's how this alignment works. You and them to him. And here's the problem. You can't align them. But when we invite God to begin, when we speak to those bones, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I actually believe that you're Lord. And when we do that, we bring ourselves into alignment. We set the stage for God to do the work that he can do in their life. You cannot control or manipulate anybody else. You can pray, but God has to be first. He is the Lord. He is the head. If God is not first, 
then your relationship is not aligned and it doesn't matter how much you pray. If you won't pray to God, here's the deal. If you're not going to pray to God to fix this, that relationship will, will never live again. There's no hope. The only hope is for it to align and that means you have to do your part. You can't change anybody else, but you get to decide if you will put faith in action. When you choose to speak to the bones, what you are doing is putting God first. You are making him Lord, and the bones in your life are aligning. In his letter to the church in modern-day Turkey, which is Colossae, we know is the book of Colossians, Paul tells us that Christ is the head of the body, that he is first in everything. And he uses this language. He said, Christ is the reconciler. The reconciler, that he brings reconciliation. And that word, reconciliation, is a compound of two words. It's a compound of the words separation and change. That God changes the separation. And he brings it back together. That's what it means to reconcile. That you change the separation and you reconcile it. When we put our faith in action, we are inviting God to reclaim his rightful place at the head of our lives, which positions us perfectly for when God starts to work in their life. He changes the separation. As we put God first, this week, in the days to come, those bones are going to start to rattle. We believe God is actually a God who changes things. So we can get excited right now. You can have a little bit of hope right now. You can go, man, I walked in here. I wasn't even thinking about that relationship. But in this moment, I'm wondering, God, what are you doing? How are you going to do this, God? And we can actually have a little bit of wonder, a little holy curiosity, a little bit of, like, excitement. Like, okay, God, like, what would my life look like without the pain of this fractured relationship? What would my life look like if that relationship were whole and good and healthy? How would I feel different? See, God is the divine chiropractor. His goal is to fix you for good. Do it, Lord.